Have you ever had a problem or flaw that you didn't know about until someone told you? An annoying habit or uh, some character trait that you just weren't aware of. When I was in my first preaching class in seminary, we had preaching labs. It was a smaller group of the larger class, and in it, we would each prepare and deliver sermons to our professor and fellow students. The class then gets to critique you on your communication skills. You may find out about your nervous tics, random hand gestures, and verbal clutter. Now, if that's not bad enough, the entire thing is also video recorded. So we'd get this feedback and then have to go back and see our flaws in action. Of all of my experiences in seminary, this was probably some of the more uh, nerve-wracking experiences, but it was also very eye-opening and helpful because there are times that we need others to reveal blind spots, weaknesses, and areas of, of improvement that we might not otherwise see. As we consider the last of the seven churches in Revelation, let's remember what we've learned so far. Every church received a special introduction from Christ, describing some important facet of his person and character and deity. As our King and Messiah, Jesus has the right to evaluate the spiritual condition of any church, including these seven. For some, his message was mostly positive because they continued to do right even under terrible pressures. For others, his message was negative because of their lack of obedience to him which in some cases was especially egregious. To all of these imperfect congregations, Jesus' promise in the future stands as testaments of his goodness to them. In Laodicea, we find a church that struggled to be productive in living out um, God's kingdom purposes. The problem was that they didn't know it. And Jesus does, for the Laodicean church, the same thing that my peers and professors did for me in preaching lab. He makes them aware of what they need to work on in order to be an effective church. While unaware of their spiritual condition, the church is about to get a shocking surprise. Hear now the letter from Jesus to the church in Laodicea as found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put in your eyes so you can see. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. In Philadelphia and Smyrna, to which Jesus only gave positive input, 
He gives a harsh examination of the spiritual state of the Laodicean church. He laces his criticism with rich imagery familiar to the community. His first concern was that these Christians were neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm. The Lord wished that the believers would be either hot or cold, but because they were neither, he would literally vomit them from his mouth. This imagery is imagery that we can actually pretty easily relate to today. Lukewarm or room temperature liquid is kind of gross, right? (laughs) Take coffee, for example. Hot coffee, great. Cold brewed coffee, great. Coffee that's been sitting out for hours, no thank you. Okay, maybe you're not a coffee drinker. How about water? Cold water, refreshing. Great for drinking or cooling off. Hot water, great for tea, showers, relaxing in a hot tub. Room temperature water, not all that pleasant for either use. You ever try drinking lukewarm, sparkling water? It's not a pleasant experience. Now, without proper understanding of the context, it would be easy to come to the conclusion that this imagery means that Jesus wants you to either be all in or all out. That interpretation appears to communicate that God would rather believers faithfully follow him or totally reject him rather than be mediocre Christians. This interpretation falls short, however, because while Christ certainly desires our full submission to his will in our lives, it's difficult to imagine that he would want us to abandon him. So the Lord's burden in this letter is the lack of works evident in the church. They were useless to him, and they were in danger of being spit out. Another way to understand this passage stems from the geographic context of the city. Laodicea had no water source of its own. They had to transport their water through aqueducts from springs that were miles away. The two closest were in Heropolis and Colossae. Heropolis was known for its hot springs, which people used for healing and medicinal purposes. People would soak in the springs with the hopes that the mineral water would bring physical healing. Colossae, on the other hand, possessed cool, pure spring water, which was perfect for drinking. But by the time these waters reached Laodicea, after several miles of traveling in these stone pipes, they lost their desired temperature. The hot water lost its heat, the cool water got warmer the further that it traveled, and by the time either of them got Uh, Either source got to Laodicea, they became lukewarm, they were full of sediment, and thus they were useless for either healing or refreshment. Those who hold to this view interpret the imagery as a condemnation of the useless, ineffective condition of the believers in Laodicea. Rather than being useful, like cold or hot water, they were lukewarm. This could refer to their lack of works in general, uh, It probably refers to their lack of gospel witness in their community. Either way, Christ could find no suitable purpose that these believers were fulfilling. This is uh, repulsive to him because he saved them to do good works, to build up his church, and to serve for his kingdom purposes in their community. The church, listening to this letter, would have acknowledged the uselessness of the lukewarm water. Even the sickness that it often induced upon drinking it because of all of the dirt and sediment that would come uh, in, in the pipes. The picture that Christ is conveying 
is that the church had not produced any works worthy of the Lord's affirmation. So he could only condemn their actions, or lack thereof, and spit them out just like you would lukewarm, nauseating water. But that wasn't all. The church had other issues. Jesus quotes what the Christians in Laodicea believed about themselves in verse 17, where it says, You say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Living in a wealthy city with a bustling economy, we can imagine that some of the church members lived very affluent lives. They not only thought of themselves as materially wealthy, but they also thought of themselves as spiritually wealthy. You see, they may have assumed that the high-class lifestyle that they enjoyed, added with the fact that there was a lack of obvious persecution against them, that this indicated God's favor on them. Worst of all, they assumed that they had attained this wealth on their own and needed uh, no additional help. Once again, Jesus takes into account the context of Laodicea in his rebuke. We already talked a little bit about the geography of the region and its water sources, but in order to get a clearer picture into the next portion of the text, it's helpful to know a little bit about the economic context. Laodicea was incredibly wealthy. So much so that when a massive earthquake destroyed the majority of the city around 60 AD, the city refused the financial aid that was offered to them from the Roman Empire and instead chose to use their own resources to rebuild. They were known for their banking industry, for being able to cash out major withdrawals. They were a very, very incredibly wealthy people. They were also known for their textile industry, for their fashion. The sheep that grazed in the Lycus Valley there produced this beautiful black wool that was highly sought after and rivaled its competitors from other cities. Finally, they were also known for their medicinal practices. Most notably, they were known um, for their ability to treat infections of the eyes and the ears. So imagine, if you will, in this city, you have the headquarters of J.P. Morgan Chase, Zara, and the Mayo Clinic. That's the economic context. So keep this reality in mind as we look ahead to the next section of the text, picking back up in verse 17. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. They were a complacent, self-satisfied people who felt that they had all that they needed, but the reality was quite the opposite. Jesus cuts through this flawed thinking by forcing them to look at his divine mirror, what he really saw in their community, that they were poor, naked, and blind. They maintained such a high positive self-image that they neglected to do any real self-examination. You see, they were so blinded by their physical riches and their comforts that they could not see their own spiritual poverty. They remained ignorant of their dire spiritual state and the need for God's intervention in their lives. But Jesus offers a solution to their need. And his solution is threefold, and it directly connects to these three renowned establishments in the city, the banking industry, the clothing industry, and the medical industry. 
In each of these solutions, we're going to see a different emphasis. But the answer from Christ is essentially the same. Return to me so that you can be spiritually healthy again. Jesus tells them to come and buy from him three different items. This is ironic since he just quoted them saying that they were content and needed nothing. In fact, they did have a desperate need, and Christ alone offers and can meet it. Meets it. He tells them to buy gold, refined in the fire. This refers to the highest quality gold with all of the impurities removed. For citizens in a wealthy city like Laodicea, like Laodicea this imagery was especially moving. If they wished to get out of the spiritual poverty that they were in, then they needed refined, the refined gold that only Jesus can offer. What the gold represents is up for debate, though oftentimes in the New Testament, um, the, the idea of gold and riches is used to refer to a high quality of faith and high service to God. And so this would certainly fit a church that lacked um, good works. And so if the church would be rich in good works, they needed to return to Christ. For the clothing industry, Jesus tells them to purchase white garments so that they could be clothed. This is, again, ironic because Laodicea was famous for its wool production. Nakedness is often used in Scripture to depict the shame of uh, humanity and its sin. Going back all the way to the Garden of Eden, God used clothing to cover that shame. Here, Jesus offers white garments as an appropriate covering for the shame of uh, this community who had not served him faithfully. He wants to remove their shame and clothe them in honor once again, but they must return to him. Finally, Jesus tells the church to buy eye salve, to apply it to their eyes so they can see. There was a prominent medical school in Laodicea which produced salve, which is an eye ointment known to cure eye diseases. And so similarly, Jesus offers salve to heal these believers so that they can recover from spiritual blindness to their impoverished condition. This perhaps was the most needed cure for them to be able to fully self-examine and see uh, their reality. If the church wouldn't recognize their spiritual state and their need to change, then there was no hope for them. But to see their need as Christ saw it would allow them to see the other blind spots that they would be able to work on. So while there is much to rebuke here, there is also hope. Jesus doesn't rebuke for the sake of soliciting shame or embarrassment. He does so for the sake of restoration. In verse 19, he says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. Jesus' love has not run out for his church. Even in their self-complacency, Jesus gives an opportunity for the church to repent and return and follow Jesus. This section of, of text, this picture of Jesus standing at the door and knocking, it's often used as a personal salvation invitation. But in context, remember that this is a letter that is written to the church. It's not simply describing Jesus seeking entry into the individual's heart. 
Rather, it's describing Jesus seeking entry into his church that has shut him out. That's a chilling picture. A tragic reality. This demonstrates just how far the Laodicean community have removed Christ from their fellowship because of their lukewarm and ignorant state. And in response, Christ waits and knocks persistently at the door, waiting to be let in. What I think is so haunting about that picture is that uh, this feels especially relevant today. This picture of Christ standing outside the door of his church, wanting to be let in, wanting to be the focus, calling the church to follow him. Well, as did the other six letters, the letter to the Laodiceans closes in verse 22 with Christ's exhortation. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's noteworthy that even though each letter that we've walked through is written to a different church, the concluding formula each time refers to the churches. The message to the seven historic churches that we have just walked through in this series um, on the seven letters at the same time is a composite word to the church universal throughout time. It is a comprehensive warning in which the dangers of losing our first love, the fear of suffering, doctrinal compromise, moral compromise, spiritual deadness, failure to persevere, and lukewarmness are brought home with an amazing relevance for the church today. City Church, as this series comes to a close, let's set our sights to Jesus. Let us earnestly seek after him. Let us regularly repent of our sins and receive forgiveness and transformed hearts. Let's live out our mission and vision as a church, to love God and love others, to seek the peace and welfare of the city. And may we be counted among those who have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen.